0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today I'm talking to an entrepreneur who actually got out of his day job, which he was in the industry for many, many years because of health concerns actually. And so this is a a different reason. Most of the time we have lots of reasons where there was a problem they wanted to solve or they were fed up with their job or whatever the case might be. In this case, it was actually driven by a health scare. So I'm really curious about digging into that. And I want to first though, welcome you to the the show charlie i really appreciate you coming on so today it's charlie aldis he is the co-founder and cro of maven it welcome to the show thanks lance great to be here so tell me first off before we get into that backstory around the health scare and why you started your business let's talk a little bit about the three things that you think every entrepreneur needs to know okay um
1: This may be a different answer than you used to, but, you know, there's three things. One is just get started. You might have, you know, you might have an idea, but you're in a day job. And even if you can start part-time or as kind of a side hustle, just get started because like Mike Tyson says, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. You got to start trying to see how you have, you know, to see if the plan works. And then that brings you to number two is if you don't start, you don't, you don't have the opportunity to adapt your plan or, you know, and, and, so number two is adapt, be ready to adapt, be ready to change. Don't be so rigid that you know this is your idea. It's going to stay this yep. way because as you grind out, grind things out, opportunities will present themselves and, you know, you have to be there when they show up. So be prepared to uh, be prepared to, you know, to switch gears. And then I think the third thing is more than anything, perseverance is everything. Um, you got to mm-hmm. show up every day. Um, there's a lot of super intelligent people that are not successful. And it's because they don't grind and grind is everything. So those yeah. are the three main things. I think if you you do those three things and, you know, learn to particularly, you know, learn to adapt, learn to persevere, things will work out.
0: Things yeah. Will work out so so to the adapt one i want to just dig into that a little bit deeper because sure. uh, you shared with me before you we hit the record button that you've been in business now for about 5 years mm-hmm. and uh in those 5 years the business has very much changed compared mm-hmm. to what it was when you guys first started out and that's that's true of just about every business out there i don't know very many entrepreneurs who you know are still working off of their business plan that they initially started their business from Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So tell us a little bit about Maven IT. What is it that you do and and what was your focus when you started and then you know how
1: has that business evolved? Okay. So I'll do a quick backstory. So Maven IT was actually founded by my business partner, Aaron McCarthy. I had we had known each other from the telecom industry and worked together um, at a company. At the same time he started, I started another company that was just a telecom brokerage and consulting firm. Um, mm-hmm. Aaron started Maven IT to provide um, what he called enterprise level uh, managed services or IT services to small and medium businesses. so the technology had finally got to the point where that was possible. Um, and he went you know just he wanted to provide it to standard small and medium businesses. We're in Michigan, so kind of in the Great Lakes area, mostly you know around Michigan. Um, we joined forces I, I, I was I was brokering deals and I kept on running you know, into people that said, yeah telecom help is great, but we need IT help as well so I'd bring Aaron in. We did so many deals together. We ended up just combining forces. And that's Mm -hmm. how the new Maven IT was born. Um, So, you know, as far as adapting, you know, we were were providing services to just traditional, you know, small, medium businesses, law firms, accounting firms, a lot of manufacturing because we're in Detroit area, um, things like that. But as we were grinding things out, we um, ran into a multi-unit franchisee who had just signed an exclusive uh, agreement to open up. Uh, 50 or so Smoothie King locations in, in Michigan and Northern Ohio. Smoothie King was um, historically in the South. And for some reason, they thought people above the Mason-Dixon line don't drink smoothies or something. I don't know. But they <laughs> finally, did they actually said that people, you know, it's cold, you don't drink smoothies. And, you know, it's crazy. But um, so yeah. this this franchisee, they had, they had previously owned, you know, close to 100 Planet Fitnesses. So they were tenured franchisees. They had sold that. Uh, that sold that off and wanted to get into something else that was more in the health, again, still in the health and wellness space. So they had opened the first three and they were um, procuring their technology themselves. The franchisors generally don't do that for you and they don't really provide a lot of guidance. And when they did it Hmm. themselves, you know, they would go to one company for their internet, another one for their phones, another one for security cameras and so on and so on. And the problem with this is all this technology uses the same network. It's all has to work together and they were really struggling with the technology side of things. And yeah. as everyone knows, technology is becoming more and more important to any business. Um, so we just happened to be Johnny on the spot. I read a, I read a newspaper article in uh, the local business um, uh, magazine in Detroit. And I just cold called the uh, franchisee. They said, yes, we want some help. Come talk to us. Um, we did, they gave us their next location. We did that. It went really well. We took over the other ones, and then we've done all of them since. Um, you wow. know, it was really, you know, put a light bulb, in my, you know, by my head. Like, wow, this is a, this is a nice space to get in. It's very underserved. Um, you know, there's, you know, that was one of the things I liked about it. The franchisors don't really provide a lot of help or guidance. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of IT companies stay away from franchises because they assume the brands or the franchisors help. Yeah, and they don't. And then what we learned eventually is there's a really big barrier to entry to getting into as well. It's um, there's no like marketing code that said this is a franchisee, so finding franchisees is not easy. And we've cracked the code on that. So we just saw all that as a whole lot of a uh, you know kind of a perfect storm of things to really um, take the market or go after that market, and it's it's worked out really well for us since then. That's really become our main focus. We still have some legacy, what we call legacy SMBs, but that's not. Really, we've actually outsourced the sales to those. We've decided to, you know, fully immerse ourselves in the franchise space. And to date, we're in 32 states, servicing about 1,100 locations um, nationwide, wow. and growing. Um, we tripled last year. We're looking at probably doubling this year, and uh, you know, so it's you know proof that it's an underserved market, um, and it's, it's really worked out well. And it just, yeah. you know, it goes back to that, you know, our first question is. You never know what you're going to uncover when you start, you know, turning over rocks. And that's exactly what happened. And, uh you know, so it's working out so far. It's been great.
0: Yeah. And what an exciting story because uh, I would have thought, and and this is what we were talking about before we hit the record button as well, is that the gateway into those would be through the franchisor because I would just think they're supplying all the systems there, (laughs) including Mm -hmm. the tech stack and Mm -hmm. uh, IT services and whatnot. And so it's just uh, shocking that that isn't actually the way that the the case is. And so for you to stumble into that, it's just really cool. Um, yeah, and you know,
1: it, the reason they do, they don't is that all they really care about a franchising is a way to make money off of the franchisors. Right. So, so they do mandate or control anything that affects their royalties, which it basically comes down to the payment systems. So that's something yeah. they do mandate. They do control everything else. They leave, you know, for the most part to leave it on your own until you get to the higher tiers, like the McDonald's, the subways of yeah. the world there. That's more of a, you know, matured, um, concept and they, and they do have, um, they have a fulfillment centers and they'll ship out all the technology kind of in a box type thing, but the lower tier and up and coming emerging franchises and even the second tier, they don't really have that level. Um, yeah. as they grow, they kind of evolve into that and we're hoping to evolve with them. But, um, yeah. most franchises don't provide or even provide guidance for this type of stuff. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, totally. So now I want to pivot into what I teased at the beginning, which was the reason for you getting into entrepreneurship. And so most people, if they have a health scare, they kind of want to go to someplace more s- stable, right? They want stability in, in an area of their life. And mm-hmm. uh, and you did the exact opposite. So tell us a little bit about those, uh, those early days, why, why did you leave your job? Because you were in it for, or in that industry for 30 years, you were in the job as an executive for, um, more than a couple of decades, mm-hmm. you had probably an incredible job, an incredible stability there, uh, great pension potentially and everything else that comes along with that kind of tenure. So why did you leave that all behind and jump into entrepreneurship?
1: it was a couple of factors and you're right. It was, you know, I had worked my way up. I, I grew up city of in Detroit. I grinded my way. I was a, I became an executive at 30 in a te- in the telecom industry. Um, yep. you know, and did really well. I mean, it was, I happened to get into industry that was really expanding in the United States. Um, they had broken up the monopoly back in the eighties and it just kind of went crazy from there. And I was at the front end of that. And, um, you know, truthfully, I got a job in that industry at 18 while I was going to school. It's how desperate companies were to get people in and then just went from there. Went really well, yeah. um, uh, you know, it, but, you know, after 30 years of it, you know, first of all, telecom is kind of a nasty industry. It's uh, very competitive. I didn't know any different. Um, but culturally, it's not a most telecom companies are not great places to be. It's all I knew. Um, but uh, so that was part of it. But, you know, I started. It just got, you know, increasingly more frustrating and unfulfilling and unsatisfying. Um, and especially in an industry that's just, you know, so ultra competitive like telecom was, a lot of times the way companies would, you know, hit their numbers was by cutting out the expense of people. Hmm. Um, and and that became my job. They kind of kept the executive teams intact in a lot, but they would you know, they'd look at people who are making the most money. And those are the first ones that are on targets for layoffs and things like that. And I just got to the point in my life, in my career, I was unwilling to get rid of good people. Um, I'm just not going to do it. You know, there's other ways to hit numbers. Um, So I started resisting, um, you know, some of that and which led to more stress and and led to more dissatisfaction. And um, to the point where, you know, I'm stubborn by nature, which probably didn't help. And, you know, my blood pressure kept getting worse and worse. And it led to a stroke. Um, I had a stroke at work. And, um, and this is where I think the, you know, the facade of stability kind of got wiped away. Um, after I had my stroke, it kind of, it became apparent to me that I was kind of persona non grata at the company. I became a liability, mm-hmm. um, to the point where the CEO who I reported to said, you know, you're going to die in your office one day and your wife's going to sue me. And I'm like, man, that's, that's welcome back you know, after yes. your stroke. So wow. it kind of hit me like, you know, stability in the corporate world is a facade. It ain't like, it's not like the old days where you stay somewhere 50 years and you get the gold watch and a Cadillac and you, you know, you go off and enjoy your retirement. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not loyal to you. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of those companies, all of them, there are great companies out there, but there are a lot of bad companies that the loyalty factor isn't there. The stability isn't there. And it just kind of hit me. I'm like, I'm not happy. Um, you know, uh, I feel like, you know, there's no loyalty. Uh, you know, my health has been affected. It was just time to do something different. And the opportunity for, you know, after, after the warm reception, I got back after the stroke, did a lot of, you know, during, you know, during that period, I did a lot of uh, um, soul searching. Yeah. And, you know, after that, you know, kind of realized where I stood with the CEO and I've done a great job for him. um, You know, I just kind of had a conversation, said, you know, cut me a check and I'll leave. And that's what happened after many hours with lawyers and all that kind of you know, stuff. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, got a check and I walked out and it was uh it was interesting, Lance. Walking out, you know, no, you know, that last day, I, I literally felt like huge weight off my shoulders. And hmm. that really kind of confirmed where my head was at. I mean, I'm not saying this was an easy decision, it was scary. Yeah um many talks with my wife and, and all that and uh um you know about what to do next and I didn't really know what I was gonna do next. But you know, yeah. I had some money in the bank. Had the you know had the uh, had the, had the severance check or whatever you want to call it and so I had some options which is always nice and thought it through and I thought I was going to take a few months off that lasted about three weeks um, and decided that I'm going to just try something my own what am I good at I'm you know I'm really good in telecom I know the telecom industry um, I'm good at cutting deals that type of thing so I just decided to start this telecom brokerage and consulting company and it just evolved from there into Maven IT the story I told before. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think it's unique, but I, I think the lesson there is, you know, we, before we turn on record, we're talking about golden handcuffs and all that. That's a true concept. I mean, it's just you can get sucked into I got this great salary now and I got this great lifestyle and I need to support it. Um, you know, you don't have to. You don't. You you can take that risk and you can even dip your feet toes in the water a little bit and try it and learn a few things. But at some point, you got to jump in. And I think a lot of people I know, me in particular, uh, I grew up you know lower middle class. A good job with that kind of income was a real sign of success and all the things yep. that all the trappings that came with it. That yep. stuff, none of it means anything. It doesn't mean yeah. anything. And it sounds cliche and all that, but it's not. It's real. Um, you just, you know, don't let the facade of stability stop you from really being happy is really the lesson there. That's easy to yeah. say. You got you know, when you got a family to support and you got miles to feed and all that, but just don't get yourself in that position where you can't make that kind of decision, you know, live below your means, you know, don't fall into the trap of, you know, buying the next best thing and all that. Be frugal to the point where you can start, you know, you can, you can, you can have your own choices. You can make these choices. I think that's, that's what it comes down to. So I wish I'd done it 20 years sooner, to be honest with you. I really do. Yeah. You might've avoided
0: that stroke, right? Yeah. I might have, but I also
1: wouldn't have learned a lesson, you know, and I probably wouldn't have, You know, the other thing is, I wouldn't have, you know, built up that level of experience that I had at the executive level as well. So, which I think has served served me well as well. So,
0: you know, things happen like they happen. And and speaking of that, so usually in the, you know, those big institutional type uh, organizations, there isn't a lot of entrepreneurial, uh, you know, training or drive or experience that you can really garner from that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not too sure how it is in the telecom industry, if there was a little bit more entrepreneurial kind of uh, energy there or not. But where did you get your uh, drive to become an entrepreneur then? Was it just because afterwards you're like, well, now what do I do? Um, And you didn't see any other things out there that you really wanted to jump into? Or is there a history of entrepreneurialism in your family? or did you always have a bit of a desire like when you said 20 years I should have done it 20 years sooner I think there's a couple
1: couple reasons one is what am I gonna do now right I mean I was yeah. 49 I guess 48 49 so I felt like I was too young to stop um and you know I, I had some money but not enough where I could stop for life and I had kids who wanted to go to college and everything so so there was a necessity aspect to it uh, a financial necessity aspect to it but Um, when I, and, and from the family side, I have no entrepreneurs in my family. Um, you know, my dad was a, my dad was a meat cutter, worked for large, you know, for Kroger. Um, uh, you know, my mom was a secretary for Detroit public schools. I mean, and, and within my whole family, there was no entrepreneur. So that there was nothing there. Um, as far as that goes, you know, it was really always about stability. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, that was always, always the goal. Um, you do your 40 hours or, or more, you work hard and you get the benefits from that. Um, but I, you know, even earlier in my career, I, I started writing business plans. I would get ideas. I would write business plans, you know, um, you know, that, that whole thing. And, uh, and I'd vet them with people. And, you know, I, I knew a lot of very great business people coming up through the ranks, you know, um, in the telecom world and started realizing that, uh, you know, there, I have, I have, I have ideas. And what I really liked was there's so much fulfillment in just birthing something from your brain, you yeah. know, working it out, modeling it out and planning it out and then implementing it. Um, just the process of doing business plans alone satisfied me and way more than my job was anymore. And some of that's probably me. I mean, you can get a lot of satisfaction out of a job if you really put, you know, you get what you put into it, but um, yeah. it became apparent that I felt like I now had learned enough as a business person, where I had the capability, or the high probability of success, just because I felt enough confidence in myself to be able to do that. So it was all those things. Um, I just needed that kick in the pants to get moving, and happened to come in a form of a stroke, you know, and and that type of thing. But I, you know, everyone has their everyone has their thing that motivates them. So I yeah. just needed that to push me over the edge. And I'll be honest, I you know, I'm not. <clears throat> I really felt like I was being pushed. I don't want to get too spiritual or any of that, but I really felt like everything happened the way it was supposed to. Um, And maybe I was ignoring the sign. so, you know, the universe gave me a stroke and you know motivated me to do something different. I mean, I do believe that. So yeah, a a literal kick in the pants. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just needed that last push, you know? So
0: yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious, what do you think, with your corporate career, uh, what you learned there has set you up for such rapid success over in your entrepreneurial journey here with Maven IT, because um, there's a lot of people that don't, you know, start IT companies or, or co-found them and Mm -hmm. see the rapid, rapid growth that you have experienced. And, you know, obviously there's some things that fell into place. You identified those opportunities as you started to, to, uh, you know, Uh, learn more about the industry and, and, and do some of that cold calling. But there's probably some things that you picked up in your corporate years that have really, really helped you uh, grow and expand as quickly as you guys have.
1: Yeah, there absolutely are. Um, There's, there's a few things again, like the last answer. One for me personally, I started off as an accountant and an accounting and accounting is great if you want to learn the language of business. You know, yeah. so you learn how to read, you know, you learn how to create and read financial statements so you know what, what an income statement is, what a balance sheet, what a cash flow statement is. Just knowing those things is very useful, very helpful in running a business. Um, you know, so that's number one is kind of learning the language of business, you know, be working in, in corporate world, definitely help with that. Um, yeah. Learn how to manage, you know, I've had big teams underneath me and I, you know, um, you know, you can take classes in school about management, but you don't really know management until you manage somebody or manage groups and that type of thing. So that, that was a big piece of it. And that's really important in owning a business. Um, And I think, you know, eventually you've evolved. If you want to look at that way from accounting to finance, to product management, to marketing, to sales type of thing. And so I got lucky to, you know, kind of, you know, get involved in a lot of different areas and kind of see how everything ties together. Um, And, you know, so learning, for instance, You know, learning about marketing and how marketing feeds sales and different methods, different concepts, different philosophies about that was very helpful. I think the best thing that, if you, you know, if I wanted to pick one thing that really helped me was being a product, you know, doing product management. And Mm -hmm. as a product manager, you're kind of the CEO of your product or your product line, and you have to be familiar with every aspect that's contributing to that product line. And and that, I think, that whole product management philosophy slash concept method really kind of tied everything together for me um you know that that was probably the number one thing um so all the you know like i said all those things but you know being a product manager more than anything and i think the last thing actually having some sales experience is important yeah to really understand business you have to sell you have yeah. to at least try selling um otherwise you're you know you don't really understand the business world until you sold or tried to sell because that's a whole nother world in itself. And I think that was the last thing that just made the difference. So it's yeah. really all those things. Um, but I don't want to give the impression that, you know, some younger entrepreneur maybe in, in their late, you know, mid late twenties needs to stick around for 35 years to pick all these things up. You know, nowadays you can learn a lot quicker. Um, yeah. But You know, if, if you're in a corporate world, you'll learn. There's nothing wrong with being corporate for a while. just, you know, try to learn as many things as you can if you want to be an entrepreneur and see how established companies do it and also learn the good stuff and the bad stuff, learn how to do it and how not to do it. You know, yeah. um, there's a lot to be learned from seeing things done the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. You know, so I would say it's all those things together.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm also curious then, like in terms of you jumping into entrepreneurship, you have that corporate background. Um, what did you find most frustrating or challenging about that pivot into the entrepreneurial world where you're the, you're, you're starting this, you're running it, you're growing it, you're, you know, what's, uh, what was yeah. some of the big challenges there?
1: Yeah. I I don't know. There wasn't much frustrating. I mean, you got, if you're going to have a business partner, you better find somebody that you can, you know, you can work with for one. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's a key decision that's like, you know, a lot of people talk about, be very careful with the, you know, the, the life partner you choose. The same thing with the business partner. If you're going to have a partner, you got to make sure you're compatible. You got to make sure you have complementary skill sets, and then overlap in the right areas. But, um, I, but you know, none of that was. So I've had no frustrations when it comes to that. Not saying we don't gripe and argue and debate and all that. But, um, as far as so, there was a ton of frustrations, but challenges all over the place. I mean, yeah. the main thing I had to learn or learn how to do adapt to was that I don't have a team of people to help me. Um, it's, you know, every, the decisions, things are up to you. You know, I can't say, okay, let me throw this to the marketing team and, and see what they come up with. Or, you know, it was on me. It was, you know, yeah. it was on me. And that was, uh, I mean, I, had at one point I had, you know, over a hundred people in my, in my department in the corporate world. So I had a, someone to do everything for me. You know, I could find someone to do something and I was just leading the team going to, you know, to the entrepreneurial world, you're doing it yourself. You're your own resource. And, you know, um, so it's up to you, you know, that that's a big thing, but i tell you, um, you know, I, I was a big promoter of time management and task management. And, um, there's a, there's an author named David Allen who has a concept called getting things done. Um, and then Stephen Covey as well, like knowing those concepts really translated to the entrepreneurial world as well. Mm. I mean, those are things I learned in business. Um, in, in the corporate world, that really helped me in the entrepreneur world as well. Um, it's just yeah. be able to know what to work on next, what to work on in context, and, and and be able to keep track of everything that needs to you know needs to get done. Um, you know, I, I I I go to bed at night not worrying. I don't I don't go to bed at night thinking about everything I got to do because it's in my system. You know, so I I pull up my dashboard every morning and I know what needs to get done today or tomorrow, the next day. And then things don't, you know, I I sleep well, because I'm not sitting around worrying about those things. So it's all those things. But, um, you know, so I did adapt to, you know, the lack of resources. But I also benefited from learning, already knowing some methods to manage my time, manage my tasks, that type of thing as well. So...
0: Yeah, it's one of the biggest, uh, lessons that I hear, uh, over and over. We've done now a little over 240 episodes, I think. So talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and one of the common things is that systematization Mm -hmm. well right if you don't have the systems in place it's really difficult to scale and Mm -hmm. and then going i i love what you're talking about in terms of being able to sleep at night um being able to turn your brain off because you don't have to fret about something or you're you're not laying there and then all of a sudden like oh shit i totally forgot i had to put you know do this or do that i got to get that on my task list you've got your dashboard already and you know the next morning that you're going to get up and you're going to be able to identify the highest value items for you to be really focused on for that day. And, and yeah. that's key. Yeah. That's yeah. Really I learned. Cool. I
1: learned that you know, the brain is a bad place to store things.
0: It's a great <laughs> place
1: to generate ideas and be creative. Yeah. And if you're trying to store too many things in there, that creativity gets squelched because there's only so much room is the way I look at it. Yeah. So I use, and I say system, I mean, it could be as simple as a list, right. Or a, just a yeah. way of doing things. And I'm a big promoter proponent of this, getting things done concept as far as like managing workload. But, uh, um, if you can free your brain of all those things you have to remember, it just frees up space to be creative, be innovative to, you yep. know, and, and you gotta have, you get you gotta carve out time for that important stuff. Yep. Um, you know, what Steven, Stephen uh, Covey calls quadrant two activity. It could be as simple as recreation, you know, like getting away for a little while. I've noticed yep. anytime I'm, you know, actually participating in recreation, which in, you know it includes the word recreate which is what that word means ideas pop in my head all the time you know everyone has like the shower story you're in the shower and you're yeah also you get a good idea those things are important and you got to make sure your brain has that freedom to have those moments um but it starts with controlling or having control over the things that are coming at you all the time
0: you know so yeah Important yeah, stuff. totally. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you're focusing on or, or really emphasizing just having that room to be creative, like mm-hmm. the, the room in your day, in your mind, uh, in your, you know, you know, in the time that you have, because that's the biggest obstacle I see that a lot of the entrepreneurs who struggle have is they're too much in the weeds of their business. They don't have the time to grow their business. And the only way that they can do that is if they can separate themselves from those tasks. And it doesn't matter, you know, how hard you're working. Like going back to one of the things you're saying, the, the perseverance and, and just grinding things out and stuff. There's a certain point in which that grinding entrepreneur becomes his or her worst enemy in a lot of respect in terms of the growth of their business that's an easy trap to fall into.
1: And, and, you know, I, I feel like I'm really good at, at being disciplined enough to make time for those, you know, those activities, those creative activities, but you have to, what they, you know, I hear it a lot today. You got to find time to work on your business, not in your business. And it's true. And you have to, you have to prioritize. I mean, put time on your calendar, block out time on your calendar, even if just an hour a week, you force yourself to have those moments, um, yeah, or you will get sucked into that whirlpool. You will, and it's hard to get out once you're in it, and it's a challenge. It's always a challenge. Um, you know, it's yeah. uh, otherwise, like you said, you just start working in the business and working in the business. And you know, yeah. there's a lot of hardworking people out there. You can work 80, 90 hours a week and still not get anywhere because you're not doing those things that make a difference. At least, you know, once a day, do something small that changes something. You know, it could be something small, something that makes a difference that, you know, will will help avoid fires in the future. Those proactive things, you know, um, yeah. and certainly take time every week to plan your week. And I don't mean like down to the minute, but here's the things that, you know, and say, here's here's the proactive things I'm going to get done this week. And, you know, then you got things that are urgent that have to get done and just, you know, map out your week and, and know yeah. what's on your plate take that time, even if it's an hour, just taking that time. It's almost like meditation. You know, you kind of, yeah. you kind of just, you know, you kind of envision how the week's going to go and it, it never goes exactly. But if you do, you know, if you plan out five proactive things for the week and you do two of them, you're still two ahead than you were if you didn't do that. And I guarantee if you don't plan that out, you're not going to find time for them. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, everything, you know, it's, it's, it, you, you, have to make time for that stuff. It's, I don't yeah. think there's anything more important as far as, you know, evolving your business than doing that type of, that type of activity. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's my experience as well. Now, I'm also really curious because you had so much success in the corporate world, um and you've experienced a bunch of success here in the 5 years that you've been building this business. I'm curious what does success look like now? Like how do you define success at this stage of your life, of oh, the great entrepreneurial question. journey you're on?
1: That's a really good question. Um
0: I mean, long-term
1: success, you know, like any entrepreneur entrepreneur I want to sell it and, you know, get a bunch of cash and, you know, I don't know about living on a beach, but certainly be able to now have the freedom to help other people. That you know, that's long term what I what I envision. I want to have time I don't want to be morbid, but time to enjoy that money, you know, before I die. And enjoy that means helping other people, you know. So long term success to me is having the means and the freedom to help people that the only way I can put it since I grew up, you know, kind of Detroit is there's a, you know, the world distributes talent evenly, but not opportunity. So mm. kind of try to tip the scales a little bit towards people that were like me that have the talent, but not the opportunity or the means to raise money and things like that. And just kind of help people along through that. That's long-term success for me. Um, Short-term. I just, you know, I get a lot of satisfaction from, you know, coming up with an idea, creating a plan around that idea and implementing that plan and executing it. And, you know, there's little successes along the way and you need to celebrate those. And that's, yeah. you know, those are the things that get me up in the morning, you know, and, and, and you know, kind of keep me self-motivated is if, if something's important enough to put a plan around, it's important enough to prioritize and grind and, and, and push and, and persevere. And, you know, that's what keeps me going every day. To me, those little successes along the way make all the difference. And then yeah. the third thing is, you know, I get to hire people and I get to help them with their careers. And that's, you know, that's, that, that's, um, It's always very fulfilling. I I worked for a guy that was a multi-billionaire. and became self-made, like grew up poor and became a multi-billionaire. And he always had this philosophy that um, a guy named Kenny Trout, great guy. And He said, you know, there's three contributors to being successful. One is hard work, which is the most important one. And another one is being smart or intelligent, you know, a little less important because there's a lot of very intelligent people that aren't successful. And there's a third one, which is what he called, you know, he called timing, but it's, you know, what people call luck he said, it's that third piece that is why you're obligated to give back because that's the one piece you have no control over, right? You know, you create your own luck and you got to be there when the opportunity shows up, but it's still, that's something out of your control and that's what obligates you to help other people. And that, that, that really yeah. hit me. It was really, like yeah. And this is someone who's worth two and a half billion dollars, you know, and he yeah. still thinks that way. So, um, yeah. you know, that one was very, that was a very, something that really resonated with me. And, you know, I hope to have that opportunity you know, I'm probably not going to be worth two and a half billion dollars, but, you know, a small fraction of that and still have the means to help other people, whether it be my yeah. own kids or someone else's kids. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, that that's an important piece. So,
0: yeah, I I, I really, really like that uh, story. Thank you for sharing his thoughts on that, because I, I and also to go back to, you know, what you were talking about earlier in that and that's the the joy you get out of like hiring people and and that's one of the things that i that just jazzes me up every time Mm -hmm. we get to add one more person to the team that's one more family that is being supported by the things that we're doing the right and and so i look at it very much in that way in terms of the number of families that are being impacted by this i could have been a job taker instead Mm -hmm. i'm a job maker Yep. And that's a really powerful thing and, and something that I think, you know, in some ways is recognized, but in a lot of ways is forgotten when we yes. talk about small businesses and entrepreneurship and so on.
1: Yep. Yeah. Capitalism gets a bad rap. Right. And I, and I understand why, um, yep. you know, but, you know, not get too philosophical or political. But, you know, what we have today really isn't capitalism, it's cronyism, but capitalism in its truest yeah. form is a very pure, good thing. And because of that reason, you know, um, and, you know, and and that's one of the reasons I wanted to get out of the corporate world is because, you know, a lot of times I had to fire people. And, you know, I there's probably one exception to this. But, you know, every time I fired somebody, I knew they had to go home and tell their husband and tell their wife, tell their kids. And um, it's I'm actually getting emotional, which is rare for me because it it hurts. It hurts knowing you're putting someone in that position, even if they, quote unquote, deserved it. You know, it's, you know, what they're walking in and if firing gets easy for you, there's something wrong with you, you know? (laughs) So, so on the flip side, like you said, you know, you know, so take it, you know, flip it around and and turn it into the positive, the impact you can have on somebody's life, even if it's just small, you're giving some kid out of college their first chance and you get a chance to mentor them and teach them Mm -hmm. and, you know, teach, also teach them not to do the, you know, the mis- make mistakes that I made and, you know, guide them and see them thrive and grow. And, you know, that moment where they come up with their own idea and it's a really good idea. That's always a good day, you know, where they, Hey, what about this? And it's, they thought of something you didn't. Yeah. And you're like, yes. You know, I mean, I try to hire people that are smarter than me, which isn't that hard, 100%. but I, you know, but um, <laughs> I, I, I really try to do that because it just makes yeah. my life easier, you know? And then when you see them come yeah. to their own, it's an amazing feeling. It really is, um, you know. And someone did that for me. You know, I mean, I was yep. 18 years old when I started in telecom. I just needed money for college, and someone took a chance on me. And that happened many times in my career.
0: And you yep. gotta, you got you gotta give that back. You do. So. Yep. Totally. So, so talking about that younger Charlie, then, uh, uh, you know, if you were to turn back the wheels of time and and deliver. A letter to your younger self, your younger entrepreneurial self in particular, what would be in that letter? What would you tell yourself
1: um a couple of things one, calm down a little bit um you know don't <laughs> I had a temper, you know, and I think it kind of served me well at times, but um, you don't have to get so angry at mistakes that other people make. And you don't mm. have to get so angry at mistakes you make. You either win or you learn and focus on that. So I kind of, you know, be more stoic. And I mean stoic as in the sense of the stoic philosopher, be more that way. Um, number yeah. one, you know, I think I could have avoided a lot of frustration, a lot of trouble, probably high blood, could have avoided some high blood pressure and potentially a stroke if I thought that way. Um, so that's one. Two, like I said earlier, just, you know, get started. You know, get started. Just, you don't yeah. have to have everything lined up. I think it was my wife that said this to me. She's like, you're the kind of person when you do a puzzle, it's like, you have to sort everything out first. You got to get everything into its sections. You got to get the rim done first or the outside. And it's almost like you want your puzzle lined up. And then at the, at the very last minute you put everything together and like, what's the fun in that? You know what I mean? Just get started and it'll, (laughs) it'll start taking shape. And you know, she was right. She was right. I mean, I was, you know, I was the kind of person there was going to be a a bowling outing for work. I'd go bowling, you know, the week before just to get better at it. So I could be good at bowling. You know, you don't have to be perfect at everything. In fact, the fun is in making those mistakes and learning from those mistakes. You know, Um, so it's, you know, people, it's just the same as people say when you have kids, you know, you're never going to feel you're ready for kids. You know, you never, if you wait, you're never going to have them. So if you really want kids, just have kids, you know, and maybe some people shouldn't, but that's a different story. You know, but, you know, don't, nothing's ever going to be lined up perfectly for you to do it. So just start doing it and you'll adapt and you'll evolve and you'll get better at things. And mistakes aren't the worst thing that can happen to you. You know, in fact, they're some of the best things that can happen to you. It's about the journey,
0: not the destination, right?
1: It (laughs) is. You know, and I say all this, but, you know, it's sort of hypocritical because I was the worst at that. You know, so if you're (laughs) talking about writing that letter to myself, I was the biggest violator of all that. I mean, um, I was so afraid of screwing up so afraid of doing something wrong and you can't be i mean no one's no one gets out of this life without making mistakes nobody and yeah and it doesn't kill you it makes you stronger and that that is true that's why there's a saying because it, it really means something so
0: yeah very good well put well thank you charlie i really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing your experience i think our audience is going to get a lot out of it and so I applaud you for taking that risk and jumping in at the time in which a lot of people maybe wouldn't have. And so that's really exciting. And I, and I love the story and all the wisdom that you've shared with us today. If somebody wanted to connect with you, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, Email is always the best part of my process is I empty my inbox every day. Um, So my email address is C Aldis. So C A L D I S at, Maven IT Inc. So M A V E N I T I N C dot com. So C A L D I S at M A V E N I T I N C dot com. Or they can call me. Uh, my office number is 248 781 4703.
0: There you have it, everybody. Well, thank you again. Really appreciate it. And for those of you who are watching or listening to this episode, and you really enjoyed it. Check out our archives over at amplifyyourbusiness.ca. And of course, you can find us on all the major podcasting platforms by just searching Amplify Your Business. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day.